Hi, everyone, and welcome to your midweek Bible study. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's great to be with you once again. Thanks for joining me. Today is Wednesday, September 13th. Today, we've reached the end of our study of the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy. It's been a really great and insightful journey, and personally, it's been special to my heart because these were studies that I had to go through before I was ordained many years ago. And so they really connect with me. And I hope you're finding the connection and application in your life as well. We finish this journey with 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 22. And we're going to talk about Paul's final words and greetings. But before we get to it, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we celebrate you. We worship you. Lord, thank you for just being who you are. Thank you for saving our lives. Thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. God, we are just in awe of you, and we want to hear and finish strong as we close out 2 Timothy. So teach us today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. All right, turn with me in your Bible or Bible apps to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 22, and let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say today. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the almighty and righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. The prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be useful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books, and especially my papers. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends you greetings, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. May the Lord be with your spirit, and may his grace be with you all. Isn't that awesome? Let's begin with 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Once again, it reads, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. Our first question today, as Paul begins this final section of his letter to Timothy, how does he view his life? Here Paul turns from commands for Timothy back to reflecting on his own life. The drink offering refers to a cup of wine a Jewish priest poured out beside the altar following the offering of a ram, lamb, or bull in the temple. Just as the drink offering symbolized the end of the offering, Paul's life was about to come to an end. He uses the metaphor of dissolving or departing from the Greek word analysios, referring to a ship which has untied itself from the dock and is about to set sail. 
This is the same word Paul uses in Philippians 1.23, saying his desire was to die or depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. The same concept of departure, using other Greek terms, was also used as a metaphor for death, such as those of Jesus, Luke 9.31, and Peter, 2 Peter 1.15. In short, Paul's commitment was total, so sacrificing his life to build others' faith seemed to him a joyous reward. Now verse 7, it says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have remained faithful. The question here is, as Paul looked toward his coming death, he also looked back and gave three positive statements about his ministry. What are they? First of all, he said, I have fought the good fight. Paul knew this was the end, that his fight was over, but he had called Timothy to also fight the good fight in 1 Timothy 6.12. For Paul, the fight had been worthwhile and he had fought well. Second, Paul stated, I have finished the race, or at least the end was clearly in sight. It's important to note that Paul made no claim of having won the race, but that he was content with having finished it. Marathon runners know the exhilaration of finishing the grueling miles of that race. They are thankful just to cross the finish line. Completion is a significant accomplishment, revealing incredible endurance and determination. And third, Paul writes, I have remained faithful. In other words, he has guarded and preserved the gospel message. Paul had called Timothy to guard what God had entrusted to you in 1 Timothy 6.20. Paul had remained faithful to the message that had been entrusted to him. This also had been entrusted to Timothy. Paul had never wavered in his faith and trusted that soon he would experience all the promises on which he had based his life and ministry. Next, verse 8 reads, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. The question is, in this verse, Paul says a prize awaits him after he dies. What is it, and is that prize only for him, or can others receive it as well? In Roman athletic games, a laurel wreath was given to the winners. A symbol of triumph and honor, it was the most coveted prize in ancient Rome. This is probably what Paul is referring to here as he spoke of a prize. The reward waiting for Paul was the crown of righteousness. This phrase could be taken to mean that righteousness itself is the reward, as in James 1.12 or Revelation 2.10, where the crown of life is the reward of eternal life, or that the crown is the reward for righteousness. In either case, Paul knew that a reward awaited him. Who would Paul receive this reward from? He would receive his reward from the Lord, the righteous judge. Soon to be condemned to death for his faith, Paul would ultimately be vindicated by God himself. When would Paul's reward be given? Paul's reward would be given on the day of his, the Lord's, return. Was this reward for Paul alone? No, it was promised for all who eagerly looked forward to his appearing. What an encouragement to Timothy, to the loyal believers in his church, and to all believers. Whatever we may face, beloved, discouragement, persecution, or death, we know our reward is with Christ in eternity. Next, verse 9, it reads, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. The question here is, both here and later in verse 21, Paul urged Timothy to do something. What is it? Paul deeply desired for Timothy to visit him before his death. The time of this writing was likely early fall. We can determine this since Paul was asking for his cloak in verse 13, and he urged Timothy to come before winter in verse 21. Since Timothy would need to sail in the Mediterranean to come to Paul, 
It meant he needed to leave before sailing became too difficult in the winter weather, usually late October. No matter how long it would take, Paul's feeling of loneliness and isolation prompted him to say, Come soon, for he longed to see Timothy one last time. Verse 10 then reads, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. The question is, this verse offers one important reason that Paul wanted Timothy to visit him in Rome. What is it? At this point in time, simply being a Christian in Rome was dangerous. Few people were willing to proclaim their faith, let alone go to a prison to associate with a targeted believer like Paul. Three specific men are mentioned in this verse. First is Demas, who had been part of Paul's ministry team during Paul's house arrest in Rome in A.D. 60-62. Paul says that Demas has deserted him because he loves the things of life. Perhaps he was ashamed of Paul's chains and not willing to face the same fate for the Christian faith. Demas may not have deserted his faith, but he deserted Paul in his time of need and went to Thessalonica. Second, Paul refers to the name Crescens. This person is not mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament and little is known about him. He was a believer who served with Paul at some point during Paul's second Roman imprisonment and later gone to Galatia. He may have been from Galatia originally. If so, he would have been one of the many believers written to in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Whether he was a church leader there or not is uncertain. Unlike Demas, the reason he left is not mentioned either. This leaves open the possibility that he left on better terms than Demas did. Third, Titus had left Rome for Dalmatia, which suggests he was no longer in Crete. As a side note, Dalmatia encompassed parts of modern-day Albania, Bosnia, Kosovo, Croatia, and other nearby countries. Titus is most likely the same Christian leader addressed in Paul's letter bearing his name. The reason for his trip to Dalmatia is unknown, though likely for evangelistic purposes. Not all of the people who left Paul abandoned him. Next is verse 11. It reads, Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Our question is, while many people had left Paul behind in Rome for various reasons, who remained with him, and was there anyone else Paul asked to come visit him, and why? Luke the doctor remained with Paul. He had traveled as a missionary with Paul, including during his first imprisonment. He appears to have been extremely loyal to Paul, remaining as his final friend during his second imprisonment. In addition, he penned both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. He may even have been Paul's secretary for this epistle, putting Second Timothy into writing as the aging apostle dictated. In addition, Luke probably cared for Paul's illness described as a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 and 8. Luke had shared Paul's first Roman imprisonment as well. A second friend is mentioned in this verse, Mark. This was John Mark a young man whose mother hosted early believers in her home in Jerusalem. Timothy was to bring him on his way to Rome. Mark was probably located somewhere along the route that Timothy would have to take. Paul's statement requesting Mark reveals an incredible change in Mark and in Paul's opinion of him. Mark had left Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. This had greatly upset Paul. You can read more in Acts 13.13, 13, Acts 15, verses 36-41. Barnabas had wanted to give Mark another chance, but Paul had flatly refused, and that led to a separation of Paul and Barnabas. Paul then took Silas on the second missionary journey, but Barnabas took Mark to Cyprus to preach there. We know little else about Mark. Evidently, he and Paul reconciled completely because later he joined Paul in Rome. During Paul's first imprisonment, he was a comfort to him there. Colossians 4:10 and 11, 
Philemon 2.24. Mark is also widely accepted as the author of the gospel named after him. Next, verse 12, it reads, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. The question is, in this verse, Paul mentions another ministry helper. Who is it, and why do you think Paul sent this person to Ephesus? Here Paul mentions Tychicus, a trusted companion. Timothy personally knew Tychicus from their travels with Paul. When Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers during his first imprisonment, it appears Tychicus delivered the letter, and along with Onesimus, he also delivered Paul's letter to the Colossians. The fact that Tychicus had been sent to Ephesus where Timothy is suggests that Paul intends him to serve as a substitute for Timothy so he can travel to see Paul. This is supported by Paul's very next comment to Timothy in verse 13, when you come. So let's read that. Verse 13 says, when you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. The question is, why does Paul ask Timothy to bring his coat as well as his books and papers? Not only could this time of year be early fall, as I suggested earlier, it was no doubt damp and chilly in the dungeon where Paul was a prisoner. His heavy coat, circular in shape with a hole in the middle for his head, would have been a welcome thing. The location of the coat is interesting because Paul had left it at the home of a man named Carpus. Apparently, Paul stayed there on one of his visits to Troas. Troas was also right on Timothy's way from Ephesus to Rome, so Timothy could stop and pick it up. But even more than the coat, Paul wanted his books and papers. Paul's arrest may have occurred so suddenly that he was not allowed to return home to gather his personal effects. I don't think he was asking for his whole library, but for a few treasured documents. The books would have included parts of the Old Testament. The papers were very likely parchment or papyrus, frequently used in the first century for notebooks, memoranda, or first drafts of literary works. Perhaps these papers were draft copies of some of Paul's epistles. Now verses 14 and 15, they read, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. Here's our question. Who is this Alexander Paul refers to here, and could he be the same Alexander Paul mentioned in 1 Timothy 1.20? Also, what was Alexander doing against Paul, and what would the Lord do about it? Here he specifically warns Timothy about this particular person, Alexander the coppersmith. Alexander was an extremely common name during this era. There are at least three Alexanders mentioned in other portions of the New Testament, Mark 15, Acts 4, and Acts 19. The man Paul refers to here may be the same Alexander mentioned in 1 Timothy 1.20, whom Paul handed over to Satan, but this verse does not make that clear. Some have also suggested the man referred to here is the same Jewish Alexander in Acts 19, verses 33 and 34, who was in Ephesus. One thing is clear, and that is that Paul does not view Alexander the coppersmith as a believer. Paul's allusion to Psalm 28.4 is a reference to the ungodly ones who will be punished by the Lord for their crimes. Alexander seems to have been a significant antagonist to Paul. We see in these verses that Alexander strongly opposed the gospel, and he clearly caused Paul great harm, and was apparently still doing so as Paul was writing this letter. As a result, Paul warned Timothy against him as well. If this man is the same Alexander as in 1 Timothy 1.20, he was a false teacher and coppersmith who made his living creating copper gods and goddesses for his community in Ephesus, similar to Demetrius the silversmith in Acts 19, 23-41. He was against the gospel and tried to cause problems in the church. These verses end with a definitive word from Paul that says, 
the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Next, verse 16, it reads, The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. The question is, was Paul feeling sorry for himself because no one came to support him as he went before the judge, and did he blame them for not coming? Roman law typically gave prisoners a preliminary hearing before a full trial. In Paul's case, in his trip through the legal system, he made his defense without his fellow believers there for support. This was likely due to the fact that Christians were targeted for persecution by Nero. Following a series of fires in Rome in the summer of AD 64, Christians were blamed. Given the political climate of that time, anyone who stood by Paul at his first defense would have likely been jailed along with him. Paul seems to understand this, and instead of bitterness, he offers forgiveness. Jesus made a similar statement from the cross, as did the first martyr Stephen, while Paul watched the coats of those who stoned him. Though Paul had been charged with the crime, he did not want any charge against those who failed to stand with him at his hearing. At the same time, this sheds some personal light on Paul's earlier appeal to Timothy not to be ashamed of his faith or to be afraid of suffering for the sake of Christ. Next is verse 17. It reads, But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Our question is, clearly Paul wasn't alone as he wrote in this verse. Who does he say was with him? And what does it mean that Paul says God rescued him from certain death? Although no human being had come to support Paul at his hearing, he said the Lord stood with him and gave him strength. So clearly Paul sensed both the presence and power of Christ. His words closely reflect Daniel's response from the lion's den in Daniel 6.22. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Christ had helped Paul, not just for Paul's benefit alone. He had supplied Paul with spiritual power, wisdom, and preaching skills in order to preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. Even at the trial before the Roman authorities who were ready to execute him, Paul had proclaimed the gospel. That Paul was rescued from certain death. Most likely, it describes his deliverance from extreme danger. Paul knew he wouldn't get out of prison alive, though he was experiencing a temporary reprieve due to a delay in the Roman judicial system. Next, verse 18, it reads, Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Our question is, here Paul concludes his thoughts saying that even though he fully expects to die under Roman imprisonment, he still speaks of God rescuing him. Can you explain further? Although rescued from certain death at the first hearing, and certainly at many times over the years of his ministry, Paul realized that the end was near. He was prepared to die, confident in God's power and sovereignty. The Lord's deliverance mentioned here would not be physical this time, but spiritual. Here, Paul was affirming his belief in eternal life after death. Anyone facing a life and death struggle can be comforted and encouraged, knowing that God will bring each believer safely into his heavenly kingdom. Just as Paul praised God in life, he also praised God in the face of death. And now Paul's final greetings in verses 19 to 22, where he greets those who were closest to him. Let's take a look. Verse 19 reads, Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. Question. Can you describe Paul's relationship to these people in this verse? 
The first two individuals mentioned are the Christian missionary couple Priscilla and Aquila. Paul first met Aquila the husband and Priscilla, also called Prisca, in Corinth. They were Jews from Italy who had fled to Corinth during the time of Claudius when Jews had been ordered to flee Rome. They were tent makers like Paul and worked together with him in Corinth before Paul was joined by Silas and Timothy and devoted himself to full-time preaching. After more than a year and a half in Corinth, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila left together and traveled to various locations on the way to Antioch. Priscilla and Aquila mentored Apollos in Ephesus as well. They were later mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16 as leading a house church in Ephesus, were in Rome when Romans was written, and were back in Ephesus when 2 Timothy was written. The household of Onesiphorus may include his family and those in his home, including his servants. Some speculate the reference to the household of Onesiphorus may be because he had already died by this time, though it's uncertain. Still others speculate exactly the opposite, since earlier portions of this letter suggest Onesiphorus might have actually been the one delivering this letter in the first place. Regardless, we do know that Onesiphorus had visited and encouraged Paul in jail during his final imprisonment. Next, verse 20, it reads, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. The question is, Paul now mentions two other close friends. Who are they, and what happened to one of them? Here Paul mentions Erastus, who remained at Corinth. Timothy and Erastus had known each other for some time now and had served in Macedonia together. Erastus had been called a city treasurer in Corinth in Romans 16.23. This would be consistent with this verse that notes that he remained at Corinth. Trophimus is also mentioned in Acts 20 verse 4 and 21 verse 29. He was an Ephesian Christian who served with Paul in ministry, taking gifts to the poor believers in Jerusalem before Paul's arrest there. In this verse, he is noted as being ill with some unknown sickness and staying in Miletus. Miletus was a town near Ephesus where an early Christian community existed. Trophimus had served at least some time with Paul shortly before his second Roman imprisonment, though where and for how long is uncertain. I'd like to share at this point that commitment to ministry, it doesn't mean immunity to diseases, discouragement, or death. Paul experienced in himself and in his closest associates the realities of serving God in these frail human bodies under some very difficult circumstances. Timothy might not have been aware of Trophimus' illness and would have been glad to know the location of his friend from Ephesus. Next, verse 21, it reads, Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends you greetings, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The question is, this verse focuses on two themes. What are they? I believe the two themes are receiving and sending. Now let me explain. First, Paul urges Timothy to come to him in Rome, something he has already requested once in this letter. In other words, Paul wanted to receive Timothy. It appears Paul wrote this letter in the fall, urging Timothy to come before winter weather shut down sea travel. That would also give insight into Paul's desire to have his coke and papers, as we talked about back in verse 13. Paul also sends or passes along greetings from four specific people, as well as all the brothers and sisters. There appears to have been many more Christians in Rome than when Paul had written this letter to the Romans approximately a decade earlier. The ministries of Paul, Peter, and other Christians had led to rapid growth among believers in the empire's capital. Little is known about these individuals, except of Linus. In the writings of the church father, Arrhenius, Linus is mentioned as the first bishop of Rome after the deaths of Peter and Paul. 
it would appear that Timothy had already known these four people. And now our last verse for today, verse 22. It reads, May the Lord be with your spirit, and may his grace be with all of you. Our last question today is this. Who is Paul directing this verse to? The first verse, May the Lord be with your spirit, was directed personally to Timothy. The second includes the plural word you and gives a final goodbye to all the believers. I think Paul's words offered great encouragement to Timothy, the believers then, and to us today as well. I also find it interesting that the phrase, the Lord be with your spirit, is also mentioned in the conclusions of three of Paul's other letters. The phrase, grace be with you all, ended other Paulian letters, such as Colossians 4.18, 1 Timothy 6.21, and Titus 3.15. You know, many questions remain unanswered at the end of 2 Timothy. For instance, did Timothy make it to Paul before his death? How and when did Paul die? When was Paul arrested and imprisoned in Rome? When was his first defense? What happened to Luke, Mark, Timothy, and others closely connected with Paul following this time? Though much is unknown, it is clear Paul ended his last letter fully focused on Christ, faithfully serving him until his end. His letters and life continue to inspire believers around the world today as we seek to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of our studies of 1st and 2nd Timothy. If I could sum this all up in a nutshell for you, it would be this. The book of 1st Timothy is a leadership manual for church organization and administration. And this book of 2nd Timothy, it is Paul's letter to Timothy to encourage him in ministry as Timothy leads this large church in Ephesus to encourage him to stand strong in his faith with a reliance on the written word of God. Next time, we'll begin with Paul's third pastoral epistle, which is the book of Titus, and we'll begin by studying Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 16, and we'll talk about Paul's instruction and Titus's work in Crete. Thanks again for being with me today and always. Have a great rest of your day and week. I'll see you right back here again next time. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.